Welcome in to Two Foreign Drafts. Austin Gale here with my guy, Mike Renner, celebrating the 100th episode of Two for One Drafts, Mike. The 100th episode. And in honor of that, we are giving away a free PFF Elite subscription. $200 value to a randomly selected person that leaves a re- rates and reviews the PFF Two for One Drafts podcast and leaves their email or Twitter handle. If you leave your email... Put a space between the at symbol or else we will not see it. Apple Podcasts will immediately delete it for whatever reason. But Mike, elite subscription aside, which I'm excited to give out. We'll give that out on next week's podcast. Your take on the 100th episode, how far we've come, where we've come on 2-4-and-draft. I can't believe it's 100th episode. That seems like a lot. It's because it seems like to me just yesterday you were asking me, you want to be on a podcast with me? And I'm like, no, I'd rather not. And you said, well, you have to. This is your job of making you. And I was like, okay, well, if I have to. No, I mean, it, it was... When you came with me to me with the idea, I was like, yes, that is something I would love to do. Uh, why haven't we started this sooner? So I, I think it's been a lot of fun. And unfortunately, this year is going to be a little different. Oh, yeah. I mean, two for one drafts podcast. podcast, the rookies and draft prospects Maybe podcast. A little more rookies might, might be more rookies, <laughs> might be more rookies in the fall than draft prospects mm-hmm. to kind of update everyone that I mean, everyone who's listening to this podcast knows now the Big Ten, the Pac twelve officially announced that they will not be playing fall football along with the Mac the Mountain West, UMass, and I believe one other school that has opted out as well. UConn. UConn, not playing They opted out sports. a while ago. They opted football. out a while ago. But they <laughs> I mean, are not like playing fall sports. Years not. Ago. They are not yeah. doing it. And they are planning to try and put together a spring season that Urban Meyer says there's no chance will happen. Jim Nagy isn't convinced. So many coaches, so many players don't see how a spring season could happen. I was talking to one of my buddies at The Athletic. He says there's no way. He's been covering the Big Ten for a long time. So there's no way you could find a way to play football in the spring and still expect to have a full fall 2021 college football season spring season is in doubt even more so than playing in the fall with COVID and all those types of things but in addition to kind of talking about the fallout of the Big Ten the Pac-12 we're also going to talk about college football's biggest questions can these players transfer what's the NFL going to do about the draft the combine the senior bowl pro days etc and obviously the spring football bit let's get into that a little bit why can't you play spring ball why can't you play 20 plus games in eight months and then to finish off the podcast we're going to finish with an interview with executive director of the senior bowl Jim Nagy also an ESPN NFL draft analyst the biggest questions I had for him and we'll get to that at the end but to tease it a bit biggest questions I have for him is how is this going to affect the senior bowl And how is this going to affect the players? And he said the million-dollar question right now is, will the NCAA let these players transfer? Mike, what is your take on that right now? Where do you think they end up? So I have a take on this, and it kind of ropes in the spring football thing and why the Big Ten, Pac-12 are saying, hey, no, we still intend to play in the spring. It's because if they still are intending to play football this year, they're, those guys can't transfer. Like they, they, they're, they're, their eligibility hasn't changed. Their schools are saying we still intend to play football this year. If they cancel the season just entirely, it would be like you know when UAB disbanded their football program. Those guys could move to another school and play right away. So if they're by saying, "Hey, we're still going to play in the spring," no, well, we definitely intend to play in the spring, even though they know that's a crazy idea. They know there's very, almost no chance of forcing these guys to play a spring season and then a fall season within you know a six month span. They know that's crazy, but if they said, no, we don't intend to play whatsoever, it's over for this year for us, those guys would be eligible right away, and they'd be able to transfer. And so I think they're kind of holding these players hostage by saying that almost, I mean, intentionally. It is intentional. They don't want to lose half the rosters because that is what will happen if the NCAA says, hey, yes, you can all transfer right away because, the, I mean, the we want football. A lot of guys have tweeted out, we want football, and if your schools aren't letting you play football, 
they're going to go to some school that will. I, I agree wholeheartedly with that take, but I think the biggest thing that tells me is we need answers on spring football very quickly because yeah. these players need to be 100% convinced. I mean, if you want answers really quickly about anything, it's not going to happen. True, like, true. Spring football is going to be decided uh, the first day of spring. Like It's not, it's not going to be – nothing's going to be – uh, set in stone, it seems like. Until so, the so, very but last I have an opinion nowadays. of that as well, though. So, okay, everyone says push to the spring, push to the spring. Why can't these, you know, why can't these, why do these teams have to start in March? Why can't they start in February or January? Make this a winter start. You know what I mean? Because a lot of the, the you know, articles that I've been reading that are against spring football because you'd be playing it from March to say end of June and then starting mm-hmm. back up again in August. Why can't we start in January and end closer to March or end closer to the back end of uh, start of April so to give that more lapse? Why do these players or do these teams have to have a start, you know, official spring date in March? Well, someone asked one of my buddies texted me uh, over the weekend. It's like, what do you think actually happens with college football? And, and this was after obviously the Mac and some other conferences that canceled. I, I said, I think you get six games in the spring. You don't get a full slate. Oh yeah. You get four or five, six games, play your rivals, play some other you know schools in your area. That's what you get in the spring. You're not going to get a full season. You get something like that. No, no, probably no playoff, but just something, any sort of money grab you can get. Anything gets people in because you, you could also probably stands. have fans in the yeah, stands. Yeah, people in then. the stands. You get some ticket revenue. You get uh, you know some sort of juice out of the squeeze that uh, these schools like are saying they desperately need because obviously it's a revenue sport. Like it makes the most money of any sport uh, in the college realm. So <laughs> yeah. uh, these schools. Uh, need it for the bottom lines. I, I think that's what's ultimately going to happen. I think we're going to see a very a severely abbreviated off season, six or not off season, spring season, six to eight games in conference, yeah. but potentially with stadiums at 50% to 70% capacity because yeah. ideally by then a vaccine is in place or COVID has come down enough in America, knocking on wood here, come down enough to where you could have, uh, potentially have fans in the stands because that's what these teams also want. They want to be able to have a, a significantly positive ROI. And I think as the Big Ten and the Pac-12 got closer to the fall season, they realized net gain in revenue for playing in the fall might not be the same as net gain revenue if we do try and opt for a spring season that even is more abbreviated because you could have fans in the stands, significantly less testing protocols, something that makes a lot easier and less overhead that, that on these NCAA of, teams. Point of contact, like test tests that like are immediately immediate give you immediate results, which is exactly. like the big thing of these. Like you get over a day, two days results. It's that's the thing that spreads it within your you know within your locker room. If you can get a test that gives you immediate results right then and there. You could we could be playing football right now. Sum that up, NCAA transfer eligibility. I think that rides on the treatment of a spring season. And then as for the spring season, I think if it does happen, it's going to be significantly abbreviated. And I think it could start earlier than March. It could start in February, yeah, I mean, January, even January, yeah. and try and make a play there. Be All right, January football games for the Big Ten would have some brutal. brutal oh man, games. that is a oh Wisconsin, <laughs> Minnesota in January. That would be tough. All right, well let, let's talk more about what the NFL is going to do. What do you, you know, obviously in the CBA, the, the latest the draft can be put back, yeah. pushed back, I think it's June 2nd or June 3rd, which would ultimately probably push the combine back a month, push a lot of the, you know, the pre-draft process back a month or so. Where are you with that? Do you think the NFL says steadfast, like, hey, I don't care who's playing in the spring. I don't care what happens. The NFL schedule does not move for anyone, which I feel like you could expect at some points. Yeah, I, I bet a lot of things. It, I guess it depends on how much. Uh, how many teams really intend to play in the spring? If you get a full, besides if every single team intends to play in the spring, if it ends up going that route, or just we don't see a college football this fall, 
they're going to start pushing stuff back. Like they need, they just need that for the, for the whole evaluation process. You're going to see the combine being, you know, after the season, after whatever college football season is supposed to be, it's going to be probably a very abbreviated. Obviously mm-hmm. you can only push it back. Like you said, to the very beginning of June. So that gives you a, a little bit more than a month afterwards. But uh, I do think you'll see that pushback. But if, if teams are playing this fall, I, I think the NFL says, screw it. Like this is, we don't need, we, we don't need the big 10 pack. Like, the fact that you guys made that decision, that's on you. We're not going to, we're not going to kowtow to you. Yeah. I mean, if those three conferences play the big 12, the sec and the ACC all play in the fall, I would imagine that the, the NFL keeps their schedule on pace. Yeah. Late April draft combine well, stays in place. I think the biggest thing you'll see is more of an extended combine. You will see a combine that might actually involve pads, might actually involve on field, you know, wow. one against one stuff. I, I think that's very possible because they don't do that because the guys just played a full season of football. <laughs> you need something if you haven't seen a full season of football, if these guys haven't played football in 18 months, a bubbled, a bubbled, like not yeah. spring season, but spring opportunity, a spring yeah, camp exactly. for some of these players, something like, like, like the senior bowl, very yes. similar to the senior bowl, put these guys in pads and put, give them an opportunity to kind of show what they could do. But that's brought on by the NFL. That would draw, draw numbers, my friend. I mean, yeah. I, oh, I, I think that would do really and, well. And they should. And then that, and it, also just for the evaluation process, because they won't have you know seen, talked to these guys, been in person, been at these games, on the sidelines, seeing Man. who these guys are over the course of the fall. So Scouting combine a big... becomes a second senior bowl. PFF foots the bill. I'm not upset about it. We end up being in Mobile for like four months. I don't know. I, I mean, this is where this is where it might end up. All right, let's jump to some of these players in the big in the Big Ten in the Pac-12. What we're going to do next is we're going to look at every single player in PFF's top 50, which you can check out on PFF.com in our interactive draft board and decide whether or not you know these guys should opt for the draft. Don't wait around for you know the you know the Big mm-hmm. Tens and the Pac-12s of the world to tell you that we're going to try to start playing in January or whatever. Me just completely opt out like others have: Rashad Bateman, Rondell Moore, Micah Parsons opt out for the 2021 NFL Draft, or if their stock is dependent on the Big 12 and Pac- Pac-10. Fuck, <laughs> Big <laughs> Big Ten and Pac-12 figuring their shit out yeah, and, man, and playing in the spring. Um, let's start with Justin Fields, yeah. the biggest name in the Big Ten, one of the biggest names in college football. I, my opinion, and I'll start here, is the guy should have probably opted out a few weeks ago. I don't think there's a ton of a ton of reason for him to play this upcoming season, especially if he's going to have to wait around and potentially contract coronavirus, risk injury, all that stuff before an April draft in 2021. I think Justin Fields has put enough on tape to be one of the best quarterbacks. The only reason you'd see him stick around, the only reason you'd stick around, see him play is to win a national championship. That's not happening this year. The national championship is... He wanted to beat, he wanted to beat Michigan, too, which I, I, I empathize with. <laughs> uh, but he's going to the draft. He doesn't need to play... He doesn't need to play a spring season. doesn't even need to like go transfer to go top five this next year. So I, I do think Justin Fields is an easy one. Do not ret- he's not returned back to Ohio State. He's going to the draft. Running, I mean, I think it's a similar take on Penny Sewell, the Oregon offensive tackle, a guy that there's been some rumors on Twitter that the NFL isn't as high on Penny Sewell as others are. I, we talked to Jeff Schwartz. I talked to you at nauseum. Everyone I've talked to is in yeah. love with Penny Sewell. This guy, probably a top 10 pick. I mean, quarterbacks will go high in this upcoming <laughs> Don't draft. even say probably a top 10 pick. Get a little... He grows some balls to Austin say he's going to be the first non-quarterback taken. First non-quarterback <laughs> taken? Really? Even yes. above this receiver class? I, I like I, I like Jamar I Chase I can almost guarantee you that he's mm, – oh, I'm guaranteeing it. He's going to be the first non-quarterback taken. Really? Yeah. And he doesn't have to play in the spring? No. Wow. All right. Well, we can skip. Although he's not going to – the thing was he wanted to play this year. His brother's there, linebacker, five-star linebacker recruit, was a true freshman, wanted to play. That's unfortunate for him, but he doesn't – 
need to play. Fair enough. We can skip Micah Parsons, the, the fifth-ranked player on PFF's board, the Penn State linebacker that has already opted out. Rondell Moore, who's already opted out as well, the Purdue wide receiver, seventh on PFF's board. This next name is big. Yeah. This next name, Walker Little, missed nearly all of the 2019 season due to injury. This guy needed, almost needed to come back yes. and play in 2020 to put enough on tape to be a first-round pick. He's currently ranked 14th on PFF's draft board. This is a guy that needs to needs to stick needs, around yeah. for, to try and play in the spring. He has to show something on tape. Either he either needs an extended senior bowl uh, or he needs to play in the spring. Like he, he needs to go out and say, hey, I'm healthy uh, after an injury last year. I believe it was in the injury. Uh, injury last year cost him the rest of the season after he played week one against Northwestern. And hey, uh, I can pass protect because he looked like it last year. He's only allowed one pressure in his last seven games. Was really good was a freak athlete coming out of high school, top recruit, would have been in that mix of that ridiculous tackle class we saw last year for the top tackle, but he got hurt. And so tackle's a position where if you get hurt, it's not like Rondale Moore getting hurt where he's going to come back and you're like, yeah, it's Rondale Moore. You actually have concerns about what that's going to do to him. So I I do think he needs to return or at least have the ability to show he can play football at a high level here. I mean, he would really benefit from the idea that you came up with in terms of the NFL having a similar version of the senior bowl, putting these guys in pads, having them play in one-on-ones, especially at the tackle position. Those pass rush one-on-ones are huge for tackle stocks. It's a big Mm -hmm. reason why Ben Barch was coveted so highly coming out of Mobile this past year. I think Walker Little, not in the same tier as Barch. He has good film on tape at Stanford. He's also a highly recruited player going into Stanford. I think he's in a different situation than Barch. However, putting some tape on film against some top pass rushers in one-on-one situations. Tape on film. Hashtag put some tape (laughs) on film. All right, Javon Holland, 18th-ranked player, Oregon safety. He's already played the position. He's going to play in the NFL for a long time, in my opinion. And for that reason, he has a lot of snaps on tape to where you could be okay with him not playing in the spring. Yeah, so he's got that cross-train between he's played slot and he's played deep safety role, and that's like – that's what you want from a modern safety. You want those two skill sets. He's done both. Uh, I, I'm not sure he's athletically like some other some of the other safeties in this class. I don't think he's that level. But you're not going to come back and improve athletically like, like that. He's done. He's shown he can have ball. You can probably improve athletically not coming back. <laughs> yeah, you know, trying trying like to work on your you know, work on your agility drills so, and all that stuff. So twenty pass. I'm sure I understand. Oh lord, twenty <laughs> pass breakups and interceptions. Combined pass breakups and interceptions in two years for a safety. Those are very, very good numbers. So, uh, yeah, I think he goes to the draft. 18th player on our board. Uh, I, I feel like he might not be a lock first rounder, but I don't think he's going to push his stock up much more if he comes back to school. Number 20th ranked player, Rashad Bateman, the wide receiver from Minnesota that has already opted out. Obviously not going to be playing in the spring, you know, fall or spring season in the Big Ten. The number 22, Sean Wade, the Ohio, State, the Ohio State cornerback. He's played a ton in the slot, has played very rarely at outside cornerback, was expected with Jeffrey Okuda, the other Ohio State cornerback that went to the Lions at number three overall in this year's draft, was expected to play a ton more outside cornerback in 2020, given that the Big Ten and Ohio State would be playing a fall season. Now, he won't have that opportunity unless he does stick, stick around for what is becoming a fairy tale spring season that might not even happen. Mm-hmm. I'm convinced that Sean Wade does need more tape. I mean, he does need some opportunities outside corner because you'll see uh, there's tape against Wap F- Fillior, the um, Indiana Wap. receiver. Wap, I think is yeah. his na- uh, nickname there. But um, 
There's tape there where you see him kind of get burned by some better athletes, burned in press coverage where if you played outside corner, he doesn't grade as well in PFF system, doesn't put up the numbers that people want to see him have at outside corner in the NFL. However, I will say this, and I don't know if I'm alone in this. I haven't heard a lot of people come and come to bat and say, agree with me here. I think he'd still be regardless, a very good box, you know, slot cornerback prospect. He's a little bit bigger for the position or whatever, but he's proven that he's been good at that position. Don't force a round peg into a square hole, so to speak. If he's not ready to play outside corner, you can nurture him and still draft him highly as, and start him in the slot or in the box. So that's the thing though, is that there's slot cornerback still has the stigma around in the NFL. You're not going to draft slot cornerback in the first round. Even Minka Fitzpatrick, when he got drafted was a slot for a play, like almost similar role at Alabama, but he also played it a lot better. One, his last two years, he had a 90.2 coverage grade and an 85.6 coverage grade. Sean Wade this past year, career high 74.9. He was a lot better there at Alabama, Mick Fitzpatrick was. And they also viewed him as a safety. Like they said, oh, we can play him at safety. The Miami Dolphins did. That's where they ended up playing him right out the gate. And everyone's like, oh, is he a corner? Is he a safety? They viewed him as a safety. So Sean Wade... If you view him as just a slot cornerback, he's not going to go round one. You have to say, can this guy play safety for us? I I think he can, but that's not why he returned back to school in the first place. He returned back to school to play outside corner. 55 snaps at outside corner his entire career. He wanted to say, I can be like Damon Arnett, like Jeffrey Okuda, be a first rounder as that outside lockdown man coverage guy. So it, it sucks for him. Like It really sucks for him, but if that was your goal in returning... That, that's your goal. Like, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he returns again next year if they don't have a season because he wants to go highly in the draft. If he doesn't, I think he's kind of a fringe first rounder at this point if he doesn't get to put any more on tape. But again, now he's a senior, would be eligible for the senior bowl if they do have like an extended. If that really is a larger showcase for these guys, I, I think you might not see this sort of uh, small class that everyone's saying, oh, you know, a lot of these guys are going to return to school. They didn't put anything on tape. Well, if you can go there, and play a ton, you know, play two weeks, three weeks of practices in front of NFL scouts, I think you can prove yourself, if you believe in yourself, I think you can more than prove yourself in a situation like that. Uh, On the interview with Jim Nagy, which we'll get to later, he did mention that there are a ton of juniors that are going to be graduating at a point where they could join the Super Bowl. He said the junior class is crazy, could see a ton of talent go to the Super Bowl. Load up on those online classes. Got to load up on those online classes. But I'm of the opinion that Sean Wade should return, and at at least not opt out, but obviously he's training because like if you opt out now, what are you going to do? Just train. Obviously train for the draft or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. I think you stay. Don't don't you know fold your cards just yet. See if the you know if Ohio State and the Big Ten can put together, mm-hmm. you know let's say six games in the spring just so you can put some more on yeah. tape. Especially if you're playing in the Big Ten, you're going against some of the best receivers in college football. Yeah. So sticking around wouldn't be the worst case for him. All right, Amon Ra St. Brown, USC wide receiver, ranked 23rd on PFF's draft board. Played has played a ton in the slot at USC. Yeah. Has yet very has not seen a ton of reps against press or in single coverage situations. And if you're drafting the slot receiver out of USC and off, who hasn't seen enough, I don't think you're taking him in the first round. I think he's the guy that needs to return and needs to play some big boy outside receiver and win, see some more wide receiver wins on his tape if you're going to warrant him staying at this spot, 23rd ranked receiver on our board. Yeah, I completely agree with that take. And it's nothing to do with St. Brown. I think he's very talented, but... He kind of got thrown into the slot because Michael Pittman's not a slot receiver and the fact that Tyler Vaughn's is in the slot receiver. So he was the guy that could do it. I think he can win from the outside. We saw that uh, he did actually get one start as an outside receiver against Cal last year. Played very well in that game. Five catches for 85 yards. Uh, I do think he can do it. But again, 
I think he needs like one year where he's the guy if he wants to go in the first round because of how low this one, how low this upcoming wide receiver class looks like it's going to be if the majority of people who uh, could declare will. Uh, I just don't think he'd be a first rounder if he doesn't have a season to put anything on tape. No, not at all. I, I don't yeah. think he'd, I, I think he's day two player if he does not put more on tape. All right. Two more guys uh, I want to bring up that, that I think should return or, or, or should opt for the draft. It's Wyatt Davis, the 25th ranked player, the interior offensive lineman, Ohio state, and then Pat Fryermuth, tight end of Penn state. Both of those guys are, are I, I would say have plus tools and have already put very good tape on film or film on tape, however, what I've been saying, but I think both those guys already have good production and the tools that you want for a top, you know, a, a high caliber player. I think both of those guys end up opting for the draft. Do not play in the spring. Yeah. So Wyatt Davis is interesting because I think he came back to school because last year was his only year as a starter. He was exceptional in his yes. only year as a starter. He was better than Jonah Jackson last year. Like he would have been higher on our draft board than Jonah Jackson. We love Jonah Jackson, but I just don't think, as a redshirt sophomore, a lot of you know offensive line coaches are going to push back as one-year starters, a redshirt sophomore. He came back because if two years of starting, lights out play, he would have been a first-rounder. If he came back and probably put together the exact same season, he's a first-rounder. Now, with everyone else kind of in, screwed in this boat, I think he still could be a first-rounder uh, if he does go to the draft. So I would recommend he does. does. And Friermuth, I don't know why he didn't declare last year, to be honest. He was a guy who was only a true sophomore last year, but did a prep year. Coming out of high school, he would have been the first tight end taken last year's draft. This year, if Kyle Pitts, the Florida tight end, balls out, uh, Fryermuth may Very not well be. Good. But I, I but like I, Kyle Pitts a I lot. I think Fryermuth's a first rounder with what the NFL wants. And we, we kept talking about it last year. NFL wants guys that can inline block the tight end position nowadays. They do not want, they will not draft you highly if you are purely a receiver, unless you're really like ridiculously, ridiculously good at receiver. Fryermuth has that inline blocking ability and the size to be like an after the catch sort of monster. So I, I think he goes in the first round. The two Michigan edge defenders ranked 37th and 39th on PFS board, Aiden Hutchinson and Quiddy pie, or is it Quiddy pay? I, I can't get this right. Aiden Hutchinson, Quiddy pay. Both those guys rank, uh, ranked 37th and 39th respectively. Both of those guys need more tape. Aiden Hutchinson needs to be, become a better athlete too, though. And I don't think that's <laughs> happening overnight. Quiddy Pay is this freakish athlete, was the number one player on Bruce Feldman's freaks list, but Quiddy Pay needs better tape. That guy leaned on the inside shoulder bull rush like a mother effer, man. That guy yeah. did not have a ton of moves. Aiden Hutchinson doesn't have a ton of moves either. I mean, he, you know, obviously kind of rides that bull rush, that, you know, strength yeah, type kind of, of power, uh, pa- power moves all the time. I think both those guys probably need to hold out for a spring season if they want to be first-round picks. I know Quiddy Pay, he goes to the combine and yeah. runs a 6-3, three, three-cone or whatever. He'll be a first-round pick first no round matter round. what. Yeah. But I think both those guys still don't have enough on tape to where you'd want, warrant calling them first-round picks. Yeah, Hutchinson only going to be a junior, was only a junior this year. I, I think fairly easily decision for him is return to school. Yeah. I, I, you just, you're not going to be a first-rounder. He's kind of in that Zach Allen, AJ Epinesa mold of edge rusher where he's kind of got versatility where he can kick inside but also not athletic enough to where you can be ridiculously productive at the college level. NFL is just not going to take in the first round. Like you're just not that caliber of athlete. So that's where Hutchinson stands. I think returning and really putting together a better year uh, than he showed in 2019 in 2021 could do him a lot of good, but pay is the one who of all these guys in this list pay OA Tyreek Smith, the three edge defenders got screwed. Like they were in store for big seasons. They had, big opportunities in front of them to push their stock top 10, top 15, this upcoming draft. Like those are the kind of tools these guys have 
pay though, like you said, no pass rushing moves. I, I, I do think he ends up declaring for the draft. I think he probably should return to school though, but because I think he could go like that dude could go top five. He's going to be almost, he's going to go in the Montez sweat range if he declares now, because he's kind of like Montez sweat where it's like, it's, it's fine. He's a freak, freak athlete. Montez was freak, freak athlete. The tape is like fine, but you're not going to draft that top 10 because of how far they have to go at this point. I mean, maybe in the Rashawn Gary range, but even like Rashawn Gary did it at a younger age, pay is still just raw and going into a senior year now. Chris Olave, 40th ranked player on PFS board, which I still feel like is too low. He, I mean, he played a you ton say of, that every he, time. He, I don't mind. It's, he, I, I love his tape. So. He, 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 he played a ton of outside receivers this past year, mm-hmm. had a ton of pr- good production. I, I think he could get away with come, you know, opting out for the draft, especially if Ju- Justin Fields does. Because going back to Ohio State and playing with the, a, a different quarterback there, production is going to drop, and box score scouts and evaluators are going to uh, highlight that drop in production. I, I, I would not return if Justin Fields doesn't return. That's for damn sure. I, I think you could, you could get a, Chris Olave get away with being a top 50 player in this class if he doesn't play another down. I, I said return. I should probably return just because of purely the classes you're going up against, that receiver class that you're going up against. True. If, no, like that's said, a good point, all too. these guys come out, it's going to be tough, and you're not going to – Chris Olave, love his tape. At 6'1", 188, running probably like a 4'5", flat. I don't think, don't think he's going to be a first-rounder if he comes out. Now, yeah. he's always going to be 6'1", 188. He's never going to like – run a four four three so like maybe he's not maybe he can't push his draft stock up too much higher but if he comes back and goes for and, and i think he could go four more yards than 849 yards now 849 yards doesn't sound great but it was the same role that he was that terry mclaurin was basically playing at ohio state when he had like 600 yards the year before that so it, that offense just doesn't feature the outside receiver much but i do think with how talented he is he could he could have built upon those numbers and made himself some money. But oh, dude, if him and Justin Fields were out there again in 2020 yeah. fall ball, I mean, I think he could have been up there with the best receivers in football. He could have been yeah. a Belitnikoff winner. I mean, that's well, how good he was. They got that sophomore, too, who's nuts. Who Garrett actually, Wilson? Who's right? going to get drafted higher than him, yeah. Oh, my God. Here we go. The Chris Olave hate does not does not. I'm just saying now. Garrett Wilson. No, Garrett Wilson's good, too. I agree. Yeah. All right. Um, moving forward here, let's highlight both these guys. Uh, Levi Amuzurike, the Washington interior defensive lineman who – that name has come out on the 2-4-1 Drafts podcast a ton, a uh, defensive tackle for Washington. And then the small, undersized <laughs> Tyler Linderbaum, the interior offensive lineman, specifically center for Iowa. That's a baller. The production's great. Like, he is hashtag fun to watch. If you like watching very good interior offensive line tape, Linderbaum is crazy with his feet, super athletic. And what I love is the... the Clear mismatches on tape, and this guy continues to win. These guys are yeah. bigger. These guys are faster. He fights, man. He, he's, a, he's a feisty player, and I think that's necessary in the trenches, man. You yeah. need a guy that's willing to stick his nose in. Let's talk about both these players. Start with Levi. For me, where do you think his mind is right now? Do you think he's going to opt for the draft or stick around for a spring season? That's the thing. He's a senior. He needed, he needed to put up better tape than he did last year if he had any hopes of going the first round. Right now, he's like, Firmly a day two guy. Going to test out well at the combine. So, I, I mean, I think he's his draft stock's still fairly safe in terms of second or third round pick. But I, I think he should return. Like, I thought he could have taken that next step. And if he takes that next step, he's a surefire first rounder with how athletic that guy is. So, I would rec- I would say return for him. Linderbaum's like an easy decision to return. The guy's played one season of college football. Yes, it was electric, but he's played one season and he's 285 pounds. You just... If he gets up to around 300 and maintains that level of play, this guy's going to be a first rounder. That's how good he is. But right now, 
he would not be even close to that level. So I'd, I would say a return for him as well. And only a redshirt sophomore at this point. Like that's not a lot of redshirt sophomores on the offensive line. It's just rare to see. All right. Uh, two edge defenders here, 49th ranked player and 51st ranked player on PFS board. Jason Owe, edge defender for Penn State, and Tyreek Smith, edge defender for Ohio State. Both of these guys need to go back. I mean, uh, go back to school and try and get some more film in. They that's, need it. They, they need it. That's the thing. They weren't starters. They were never starters. Jason Owe, 397 career snaps. Tyreek Smith, 426. That's, I just, you can see the talent. You also have to see guys play. You know, like you, you need to see reps on tape. And so I do think they could end up as top 10 picks someday. They will not be close to top 10 picks if they don't play, don't play this year. I mean, Jason Owe has some flashy reps on tape yeah. where you get, you're, you're really impressed with I mean, the athletic ability, the bend, these things, but. You need to see it against really good offensive tackles, and you need to see it consistently. PFF mm-hmm. pass rushing grades have been one of the better predictors of NFL success of all of the metrics we track at the collegiate level. And I think mm-hmm. seeing Jason Owe and Tyreek Smith get another season, you could see them creep up into that high 85, high 90 range, so much that combine that with their athleticism, like you said, they could be top 10 picks, top 20 picks yes. in the NFL draft. Last guy we'll mention here, and then we'll jump to the Jim Nagy interview, uh, the executive director at the Senior Bowl, Rayshon Slater, offensive tackle, Northwestern. People love this guy. I, I, I don't know if he needs to put more on tape. No, I, I don't. Three years of starting at Northwestern between right tackle, his freshman, sophomore year, left tackle this past season. Graded out really well this past year. Probably had the best reps against Chase Young of any tackle Chase Young faced. Now, there was only like a few that they actually went one-on-one, but he actually won a few. Um, I don't think he's a tackle at the next level. He's probably going to be a guard, but I, I don't think he's going to – if he came back to school, I don't think he'd go any higher than – you know, he is right now. Like he's already played fairly well with three years of experience. Mm-hmm. I, I think he's firmly a day two guard that if he declares right now is gonna if he comes back to school is still gonna be a day two guard, you know. Yeah. All right, Mike, before we jump to the Jim Nagy interview, let, let's give me give me your strongest take on college football this upcoming season. Big twelve reportedly oh, coming man. out now that they are going to start games on September twenty sixth with the with the option to potentially delay to October tenth where the title game will be played on either December 12th or December 19th. I, here's my take. I'll give him my take, and then you go. Okay. The AC, ACC, SEC, and Big 12 are all going to plan to play on September 26th with open weeks scheduled to a point where they could push back to early October or even mid-October. However, I, I do think the biggest question mark right now is how these students come back on campus and how can they manage the coronavirus pandemic pandemic on these campuses? Because if the coronavirus pandemic affects these things, I think it all goes pear shaped. They end up trying to push for the spring. However, if that doesn't happen, I do think they continue to march toward to try and kick off on September 26th. That was a pretty lukewarm take. It's Luke. I, it has I to think be my lukewarm. Take it changes it, every hour. I know. I think mine is that big 10 schools will be playing football this fall. Some of them. Really? Some of them will be trying. Like the, some of the schools want like Ohio State has a lot of money on the line with their football <laughs> program. They rake to not have any games this fall for Nebraska. When other when teams are have, playing? Exactly. To not have any games, the amount of just like negative blowback they're going to get from fans, from their athletes, from students is going to be enormous that I think they're going to some some of these schools are going to find a way 
to play football this fall in the Big Ten. All right, well, let's go ahead and jump to the Jim Nagy interview. And before I do that, I want to remind you, this is Two for One Draft's 100th episode. If you leave a review, rate and review with your Twitter handle or email, leave a space symbol, space between the at symbol. We're going to send out an elite subscription to one of those guys that does review. We really appreciate everyone's support for Two for One Drafts. Here's to another 100 episodes, 100 plus episodes. And also, here's to a, a fall season. We'd like to see some college football in the next few weeks here. All right, let's jump to the Jim Nagy interview. Joining the Two for One Drafts podcast is none other than Executive Director of the Senior Bowl, Jim Nagy, also ESPN NFL Draft Analyst. Just me today, Jim. Mike Renner, unable to make the interview, but I'm, I'm happy to have you on. Yeah, Austin, thanks for having me on. Of course, dude. I mean, let's let's start with this. The elephant in the room, uh, you know, the Big Ten and the Pac-12 have officially canceled their fall seasons. I, of course, they're aiming to play in the spring. A lot of people with knowledge of the situation have doubts of spring football. What do you think the biggest impact of this is? I, I, I want to say the players. I want to say guys like Justin Fields, Jason Owe of Penn State, Micah Parsons, Rondell Moore, these guys that are going to be highly touted prospect. Is the biggest impact on the players in those conferences? I'm interested in your take. Um. I mean, yeah, those are the guys I feel most for. I mean, all the players, they've put in so much hard work and they've all done the right things to to get all their COVID numbers in line and and work in the restrictions that their schools set forth. And now kind of the rug's been pulled out from under them. So I I feel bad for those guys, uh, really bad for those guys. And and more so than the guys you mentioned, you know, the guys like Justin Fields and Parsons, where, you know, it seems like they're in a a pretty good range in terms of the draft anyway. Yeah. it's the guys that are going to make the jumps, right? It's, it's the guys that, you know, have, I mean, all these guys have gotten bigger, faster and stronger in the last year, or at least they, you know, theoretically they should have. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there's, there's a number of players out there that probably coming off junior tape, they look like mid round guys and they, they might end up being day two guys. Um, you know, they might be late round guys that jump up into the middle rounds, whatever, you know, whatever, you, you know, whatever you think, like Joe Burrow last year. I mean, and that's the example everyone's using. Um, so I feel bad for those guys, guys that have really trained hard and, uh, you know, taking this, this process seriously. When you're a scout, there's a lot of guys that, you know, are one-year wonders. They're kind of, you know, they yeah. kind of get that senior push. Um, and, and you see that a lot. So there's a lot of players that won't have the opportunity to do that. You know, sticking with the players in the Big Ten, the Pac-12 right now, you could even include the Mountain West Conference and um, forgetting the Mac, uh, the Mac Conference as well. Do you think the NCAA, and I know there's a ton of questions right now and no one really has answers, but I'm interested in your opinion. Do you think the NCAA is going to allow these players to transfer to schools that are playing in the fall? Because if that if that precedent is set and you, you give that opportunity to the Big Ten and these players that are big names, you'd have to expect the floodgates going into the SEC, even smaller schools like that are still playing the conference. USA, the Sun Belt. Do you think the NCAA eventually makes that move? Uh, yes, somebody there is getting paid a lot of money to make that decision. <laughs> that's a big one. That's a bit. That's a big decision. But I, I do feel like this whole thing has, has been a little unfair to these guys. And uh, you know, I I just think of guys like Trey Lance at North Dakota State. So you know, he's a guy that had a phenomenal redshirt freshman year last year, and he's he's extremely talented. Um, but when you look at it, he's only played against FCS level competition and he's going in, you know, he's probably going to be going into a draft process against guys like Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence are going to be his main competitors at that spot who he's going to be jockeying with. Um, he can't play in the senior bowl. He's not graduated. He hasn't transferred. So he technically can't be a grad transfer. So if you don't give him some sort of special waiver, now he's entering the draft process with like 13 starts at the FCS level. Yeah. That's tough, man. I mean, it's so tough too, because Trey Lance, 
Trey Lance also averaged, what, 18, 19 dropbacks a game in those starts? So he didn't have a ton of opportunities to throw the football at, at North Dakota State. It was such a run-heavy offense. I, I feel for these players, man. I, I feel for these players because for it to be out of their control, whether or not the Big you know, the Big Ten and the Pac-12 to cancel the seasons, and then for it additionally to be out of their control to transfer to schools that would give them opportunity to put more, you know, put more things on tape, it is – so frustrating. Taking a little bit and, and moving to the ACC, the SEC, the Big 12, these, you know, these conferences are still expected to play in the fall. What do you think the biggest hurdles now are for those conferences between now and kickoff? Oh, <laughs> just whatever you can do to get on the field. Um, I think the, those, those conferences are in a good position in terms of the visibility once the fall starts. I mean, they'll have the entire stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, that's going to be the thing. Well, they all push back to September 26th, I think, is now the, the kickoff date for all those conferences is what it looks like. Uh, and I just hope we get there. You know, we, there's been times of optimism throughout this whole summer um, where you felt really good about where we were at. And then there was there's the, that roller coaster where you dip down and it's a little more doom and gloom. And it's kind of it's kind of been that yo-yo effect. So hopefully... Um, you know, there's optimism with those three, those three power five conferences and, and hopefully we can, we can get to September 26th and then play. Yeah, that's huge, man. I mean, September 26th, you know, I guess it's avoiding the outbreak once the other students are on campus, you mm-hmm. know, they're kind of in that isolated football bubble mode. And, uh, you know, now once these, these kids are all starting to come back, can we avoid the outbreaks? I guess that's the biggest thing. True. I saw, I think, an anonymous quote from a Power 5 athletic director saying, you know, you're not out of this yet. When the students get back on campus, there's more opportunity for coronavirus outbreaks. And I think with the pressure put on by the Big Ten and the Pac-12, if you do see one or two or three schools handling significant 10, 15 players that are battling coronavirus, you could see the pressure lead to a cancellation of the season. All right, I want to pivot a little bit to the Senior Bowl and how this is impacting the Senior Bowl, how this is impacting you and your team's preparations for what is on Honestly, Mike would attest to this too. One of the best events of the year. One of the best events of the year because you're able to see one-on-ones that you would never see with top-flight competition expected to enter the draft. You're able to, in addition to that, talk to a lot of other scouts, talk to a lot of these players, and get their backgrounds. How is this impacting the Senior Bowl and your process right now? Uh, yeah, you know, like I said, we've had months to come up with these contingency plans, and, and uh, I, I think I said before we started rolling here that. Uh, you know, maybe it's it was or I was overly optimistic or or, or just naive, but I, I I I was hoping we weren't in a position where we'd have to act on some of these contingencies. But um, we've had a lot of time to think about it. Um, you know, we're ready. Everything's on the table right now. You know, we've got a Zoom call tomorrow morning with all 32 teams. Um, I think we've got 60 guys RSVP'd already at like the director level, GM level, um, and I just want to hear from them what they want our week to look like. Um, mm-hmm process is getting significantly impacted um and our game is here to serve them um you know and and being in the league for for two decades and and coming down here to the senior bowl i understand how important it is like like you just said i mean this is real football um it's it's not guys running around in shorts i mean this is real competition real football and some of these players you're gonna you know it's gonna be 12 months since they put pads on yeah so going back to what i said earlier about guys getting bigger faster and stronger you know, they haven't had a chance to show that on a football field. Um, so, so what we do with our week, whether that's, you know, push out to like two weeks, maybe, um, uh, you know, we, we, right now, I think we have to operate in a mode as if we're in the current state of COVID, mm-hmm. um, what that makes interviews look like. I mean, it can't be the second floor of the hotel, which you guys have all <laughs> up there. I mean, we can't have, you know, scouts just grabbing players coming out of, out of, you know, training table. 
um, and grabbing guys for quick impromptu interviews. I mean, it's going to have to be way more structured. It might just be Zoom calls with the kids from the room with, with, with teams. Um, so it might be more combine style. It, it, it's going to be, there's, there's going to be a lot of impact. Obviously, we're, we're just under six months out. So we have time. Um, but that's, that's what we're at right now. We're, we're trying to figure out what the league wants to see. Um, they're not in these schools right now. They're not on campus. They're on Zoom calls. Our staff has been on a bunch of these Zoom calls already. And, and it's great the schools are doing it, but, but it's very vanilla. Um, you know, you're, not, you're really not getting some of the information that you would get as a veteran scout that has great contacts and relationships. Um, you're not just going to go on a Zoom call and, and, you know, spill your guts on a player in front yeah. of 32 teams, you know, that, uh, on something that could be recorded. Uh, <laughs> so we're, we're, just, we're here to help the league, and, and we're going to, uh, you know, our week will probably look a little different. Um, you know, I, I think the other, the other challenge is, is reaching out to the league office, which we've done. Um, we got to see what the draft calendar looks like. You know, if they're, if they're going to push back to that final date, you know, I think the last date in the CBA is June 3rd. If they push back and have the draft on June 3rd, that basically pushes us back in the combine back a month, which would be great. You know, it would buy us four or five weeks if we're at the end of February, early March, um, you know, and, and I guess that we're all hopeful about a, a vaccine. You know, we're hearing that that could come in, October, November. Um, so if we can buy ourselves another month and everything be, you know, that vaccine be more widespread, uh, the distribution, then we might be in a great spot. Then, then our week might look very, very similar to, to past years. But um, those are the things we're working through right now. Man, that sounds like a ta- a logistical nightmare, my friend. I, I can't I can't even relate to what you're going through. I didn't even think about how the media process has to change, the media structure has to change. Obviously, you're putting on the table, postponing it, especially if the draft moves back. But I want to focus a little bit on the the actual practice and the, and the process and what you're expecting these teams to provide from a feedback perspective on how they want the process to change. Because I know something that's been so great about the Senior Bowl is it's been willing to adapt practices and willing to adapt practice schedules to really show NFL evaluators the players' talents. And I'd be interested to know, even COVID aside, what you think feedback will be from NFL teams to improve the game, improve the practices to really see you know the strengths and weaknesses of these players. Well, you know, I've had a lot of these calls informally with, with just friends around the league, and that's why I thought it would be, you know, a good idea to make it more formal and get input from – at least give all 32 teams the opportunity to, to kind of um, brainstorm and, and, and really be creative and think outside the box a little bit about what the week's going to look like. Again, we have to think about what practices will look like if there's not a lot of contact. Um, you know, or, or could we just do position drills? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of contact involved, but I don't know. Like again, we're 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 almost six months away from there. So um, if they're on the practice field right now doing things, and they have been, um, I gotta believe in six months we're going to be able to have a very similar to practice to what we've had in previous years. To me, it's more of um, you know for these guys that are sitting out and haven't put pads on in twelve months, you know I think we're going to have to allow them some sort of ramp up period, right? Like they're not going to they usually arrive here to Mobile on a Sunday. And they're in uppers on, on Tuesday, you know, banging, and then Wednesday and Thursday in full pads. So I, I don't think that's realistic for these guys that haven't put pads on, that want to put their best foot forward in front of, you know, all the decision makers in the NFL. So give them that opportunity to come here, condition for a few days, um, you know, maybe work in uppers for two or, three, two or three days and then go in full pads for three or four days. I really think we can fit in more practice time um, this year to allow for the acclimation process and, uh, you know, kind of shaking the rust off. 
Yeah, something I'm, I was thinking about a little bit recently, and this might be a bit off topic, but at the Senior Bowl, have you ever considered potentially providing opportunity for these players to have some athletic testing? Because not everyone who is invited to the Senior Bowl is, is invited to the Combine. Obviously, there are pro days to you know work with that. But do you think it makes sense to have some opportunities for athletic testing or bench press or these things for the players that do attend the Senior Bowl? I'm not sure where, where your thoughts are there. Uh, yeah, in our current week, there's not really a minute of the day True. <laughs> for these guys. Um, you know, we only had two guys that, that weren't invited to the combine last mm-hmm. year. Um, one of them got drafted. Um, the other didn't. So for the most part, they all, they all do go. Um, I haven't really thought about the testing part, really, mm-hmm. uh, because they're going to get that at the pro day and they're going to get that at their combine. They're probably going to get at least two opportunities after our game to do that. Absolutely. Makes sense. Well, what, what are you thinking? You know, we can kind of close with this. Obviously, a ton of things can change. We've seen that with the NCAA and the Big Ten. In, in 72 hours, it felt like from hopeful to canceled fall sports. What are you looking for next? What do you feel like is a bigger domino uh, between now and kickoff that you are kind of hopeful for to see kind of end positively? Well, I would like there to be, obviously, just from a fan's perspective, you know, as a football fan, um, I just like to see some sort of football this fall. Mm-hmm. You know, I, again, I, I hope that's, that's not wishful. I hope that it's realistic. Um, you know, and then, again, we just have to be prepared to, to be agile and, and adjust, you know, our game and what we're doing. Um, so, so it's going to be an interesting, you know, few months here. But I think it's a great opportunity for our game. You know, I, I really feel like um, we were given a book when I was working for the Seahawks. Uh, it's in my office somewhere. Uh, it's called Obstacle is the Way. And, uh, and, and really, we see this – we see this – thing out in front of us and, and it's kind of scary you know there's a lot of changes but I really feel like it's an opportunity for our game I'm a huge believer in our game you see how much I've promoted on social media and I feel that way it's genuine you know coming to the game for 20 years and sitting in draft rooms I, I understand the importance that, that teams place on the senior bowl again it's the it, it, I think it shows a guy's character and how much he loves football how much he likes to compete um, so you know just believing in that game I, I feel like this is a great opportunity, even though every year I think it's important. I think this year having our game is even more important for these guys. Even some of these opt-out guys are eligible to play in the game this year. Um, you know, if you just look at some of their statements, they say they're, you know, some of these underclassmen have already announced that they're going to be graduating by December. Um, and we've already reached out to those guys about playing in the game. So um, it's a great, it'll be a great opportunity for those guys to show themselves. And the hard part right now, I mean, looking at our board is, is behind the camera right now. And we've got a great senior class, but, you know, we never, we never put any juniors out. Um, but we, the list of juniors right now for this year's game that we've got confirmation through schools and through agents um, that are going to graduate in December, it's a ridiculous list. Um, so if we can get everyone in Mobile, I mean, we, there's going to be a lot of first-round players down here. So um, a, a lot out in front of us, but I do think it's a huge opportunity. It could be a huge stage. Um, you know, even if the SEC and the ACC and, and Big 12 do play, um, I feel like our, the stage of this year in Mobile is going to be even bigger. Yeah, I would have to agree with you there. I mean, the opportunity for the Senior Bowl to provide an opportunity for these players that have opted out or playing in the big or the Pac-12 to put some more tape on, put some more tape before the draft, not just the combine, other things, put some more tape, some, some one-on-one opportunities to show these NFL draft evaluators uh, what they really bring to the table I think will be super important. Jim, always a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Really appreciate your time. Uh, thanks again. Yeah, Austin, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Absolutely. 